Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Trana. Thanks for listening. Good show today. We've got a great interview with Sean McDonough, who was just named the lead NHL play-by-play voice for ESPN. And um, we discussed that as well as Sean's pretty unbelievable career, everything from calling the World Series, Monday Night Football, the Olympics. We get into it all, discuss why uh, Sean thinks it didn't work out with him in Monday Night Football. He did two years with John Gruden. Uh, We discuss if Sean feels like he gets credit for being an elite play-by-play man, and he shares a tremendous bowler after a story towards the end of the pod. So uh, make sure you listen for all that. Before we get to Sean, just a quick reminder, if you missed any recent episodes of the SI Media podcast, we had Chris Long, former Super Bowl champion, current podcast host last week, talked about um, the situation with players not wanting to be not getting vaccinated talked about uh what call nasib will face in locker rooms and and with um teammates and a couple of other things two weeks ago jim ross aw play-by-play man and john oran were on the pod three weeks ago john wertheim if you're a fan of the 80s we uh relive 1984 and all the things that happened there and four weeks ago stugatz from the dan libertard show on the si media podcast all right listen to those subscribe if you uh enjoy the pod and uh, I think you will like this one here with ESPN, very versatile ESPN play-by-play man, Sean McDonough. All right, joining me now, first time I've had him on, long overdue, the veteran and versatile play-by-play man for ESPN, who is now the lead voice of the NHL on ESPN, Sean McDonough. Sean, thanks for coming on. Hi, Jimmy. Nice to be with you. I appreciate you doing this. Excuse me, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> I appreciate that. 
Um, and congrats on the new gig as the lead voice of the NHL. Uh, before I even get into that, I, I was curious because I didn't see this anywhere. Are you still going to be doing college football? Yes. Yeah, we'll be okay. doing college football again with Todd Blackledge and our group, Todd McShay. Uh, probably Molly McGrath on the sidelines. So really excited about that. Love college football. I uh, love that group. You know, I think uh, led by Josh Hoffman, our producer, and Scott Johnson, our director. You know, they've been putting out high quality work for a very long time, long before I joined their group. But we have a lot of fun. We get a great game every week and college football is awesome. So that is definitely something that will not be going away. All right. Glad to hear that. We can't lose that crew. That's a great crew. You and, and, and Todd, um, I think you. as good, you know, as good as it gets there. Uh, tell me, I read that you went to ESPN and sort of pitched yourself for the NHL gig. Um, <laughs> which is pretty nice when you can do that. And then they say, yes, you know, that's, that's, uh, right. So it always nice. <laughs> what, what was it about? I mean, it's funny because when I saw the news, I mean, I, I hear your name. The first thing I, the first thing I think of is college football. And then I think of baseball. You had those memorable calls, pirates, Braves, college basketball, Monday night football, hockey didn't come in my brain. So it was interesting when I saw the news, tell me what, what appealed to you about getting that gig. Well, I love hockey. Did a lot of it you know, back in the day. Obviously, I haven't done it in a while because we haven't had it for 16 years. And as I've said in a couple of interviews uh, since they made the announcement, you can only do obviously what you have. And one of the things I love about ESPN is that we have a lot and I enjoy the variety as much as anything else. So whenever people ask me, you know, what's your favorite sport or your favorite sport to call? I never really have an answer because I enjoy doing all of them. You know, if I had to choose, uh, you know, based on what I've been doing lately, I would say college football, but love hockey. You know, grew up in Boston in the 60s and the heyday of Bobby Orr. You know, every kid on the block wanted to be Bobby Orr. And most of us had the poster of him flying through the air after he scored the Stanley Cup winning goal and got tripped and uh, came for the against the St. Louis Blues. And uh, it was really my first job out of college in the mid-80s and when I left Syracuse, I went to Nesson when they were just starting out in New England. And my first main gig there was calling college hockey. Hockey East was a conference that had just been formed. So got to do a lot of games there. Uh, there weren't a lot of people watching at the time. Nesson was only in about 3,000 homes. You know, you wondered if anybody was watching sometimes. And obviously that's changed a lot. But uh, was involved with the Boston Bruins, mostly in the pregame, postgame, um, in between periods when the legendary Fred Cusick was doing the play-by-play, -play, got to fill in for him a couple of times, which was a thrill. And uh, did a lot of hockey for ESPN when we had it. The um, Frozen Four in NHL and um, did the Olympic hockey in 98 at CBS and loved that. So it's always been a passion of mine. You know, Dan Berkeley, who hired me to do the Red Sox games at Channel 38 um, in Boston back in 1988, called me a couple of weeks ago. He said, I really hope you get this hockey gig because I've always thought it was your best sport. And I've had other people tell me that, too. So uh, when the opportunity arose, I definitely was Jimmy, uh, quite aggressive in reaching out. You know, I texted Jimmy Pataro and Nori Williamson and told them, you know, I'd like to be involved at the highest level I possibly could. And they responded favorably. And it went from there. Total hypothetical here. But if they would have said to you, we'll give you the NHL gig, but you got to give up the college football gig, what would you have done? Oh, boy. Um I probably would have still said yes. And I think the reason is the payoff is the Stanley Cup finals. You know, in college football, we get to do the championship game, Todd and I do, but it's on ESPN radio, which is still a blast. That's actually one of my favorite assignments of the year. 
because I enjoy doing radio. Don't have a chance to do a lot of it. But, you know, the chance to do the Stanley Cup finals, hopefully four times in the next seven years, is something that I think would have been hard to pass up. You know, I think uh, there are a few things. I was going to say there's nothing better in sports than the Stanley Cup playoffs. You know, I don't even think there are many things that are as good. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. You know, that was the big payoff for me is the chance to do the, the finals four times, hopefully. And then, as I said, in the next seven years. What do you make of, I mean, for those of us who cover media and are media nerds and follow this stuff, obviously hockey's ratings, popularity in America, um, you know, are, have always been sort of a, a narrative. Um, and, you know, they're considered the fourth major sport. If But if you're going by, what the numbers say they're not. I mean, college football would be in that mix before the NHL. I'm just curious, do you think it's just a matter of the league getting back on ESPN that's going to give it a huge boost? Or does the league need to do other things? Because I think, you know, I think you can't even quantify how big it's going to be to go from NBC Sports to ESPN. But is it as simple as that? Or do you think there's some other, what do you make about trying to increase the numbers there? For well, NHL? I'm surprised that they're not higher just because, you know, I love it. I think the sport has never been better in terms of the way it's played, you know, with the speed, they made some rules changes in recent years, I think really helped, you know, the trap, which was not very attractive and appealing. I think from a spectator standpoint has gone away. You know, the, the players are so big, strong, fast, skilled, that I'm surprised the ratings are what they are. I do think NBC has done a fantastic job. I think they've set a really high bar for us to try to get over. And a lot of them will be at Turner, some of them at our place too, helping our coverage. But, you know, I, I, but I just think to your point, Jimmy, the, the volume of what we're able to do at ESPN, because we are 24 seven and we have all these different networks and platforms, you know, we are going to be able to give the sport a lot more exposure than it's had in recent years. So uh, I think that'll help. I think we have a lot of, you saw the press release. I'm sure you probably talked to a few of the people who are part of this group, you know, Norby and, and Mark Gross and Mike McQuaid did a phenomenal job assembling, I think a, a really talented team that will do a great job of being passionate, enthusiastic about the sport and uh, hopefully helping to grow the game. Cause I do think it's a great product. I don't know why more people aren't, uh, coming to it, but hopefully they will. That's our part of our job. I, I mentioned the the list of sports and and leagues you've you've called. I didn't even touch. I mean, you know, obviously golf and tennis are in the mix. You've done that as well. Olympics. Don't um, about the bobsled and luge. Perhaps my bobsled. <laughs> the bob. Uh, bob how long did it take you to learn the rules for the bobsled? It took quite and a luge. while. You know, I did it. Yeah, in I can imagine. Do it '94 when I was at CBS. It was in Alberville and Lillehammer, and I actually went to Lake Placid and spent several days up at the bobsled and luge, you know, training headquarters to meet the people and have people explain to me the sport. They're really not that complicated. I mean, you, you lie down on a sled and try not to move at all. You know, the, the, they told me the best loser would be a dead person, right? Because you, the more you fight it, you know, the more you kind of slow the sled down. So if you could just be a blob and go down the mountain, that would be the best way to go. But uh, that was really a fun experience too. But uh, I enjoyed the hockey more in, in Nagano in 98. I, I'm, I'm sure the hockey was a little more exciting than the luge. But <laughs> I mean, it's, it's funny because you say, you know, you say um, Lilyhammer, and 
I think of one thing and, and one thing only, which is, you know, Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding. Do you, I'm, so since you were there, I'm just curious, since you brought it up, um, what do you remember about that? Then? Yeah, that it was, was it a just big a deal, obviously. And, yeah. you know, I was particularly interested in being from Boston. You know, Nancy Kerrigan was uh, very popular, you know, all across the country, particularly in the Boston area, because that's where she's from, just north of Boston. So had always kind of rooted for her. So, I, you know, felt like a, most people felt terrible for her. But, um, you know, when you, when you do the bobsled and luge, your airtime is really dependent upon the performance of the Americans, right? <laughs> if the Americans do well, uh, then right. you, you're going to, you know, you might get on. If they don't, it's a four-minute highlight package. So, unfortunately, in those years, it was uh, some four-minute highlight packages. But it was still fun to do. I just remember Lillehammer was probably the coldest I've ever been in my life. I think where we were in Hunderfossen, uh, which is where the uh, bobsled luge was, I don't think it ever got above zero. Uh, Fahrenheit, even during the day, the whole time right. that we were there. So it was really cold. And my other recollection is that Vendela, who at the time was the Sports Illustrated um, swimsuit cover model, was staying in our hotel, which, um, which you know, got everybody's attention. And a lovely mm, person. Sure. Uh, yes. you know, we actually got to know each other a little bit and spent some time together. She was very nice. The one thing I, the one thing I've learned over the years from working at SI when you're in the building and the swimsuit. She was there for Sports you know, Illustrated. Actually, she was yeah. there, you know, schmoozing advertisers and clients, and uh, right, right. They were happy. The thing about the models hotel. is you, you know who they are right away because they're all so tall. Yes. it's impossible not to know which ones are the yeah. other. But she was, but I remember most of she was super nice. You know, she was just a yeah. regular person who happens to be. It's funny because uh, blessed, unlike some of us. It, <laughs> Yes, you can tell me about it. Um, it's funny because if, if listeners to this podcast and, and if regular readers of my column, I have know that I have a, an obsession with like the the sports things. If they took place during Twitter, and Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding would be a top five event with uh, that. If that took place during Twitter and the internet, mm, it would have been sure. uh, the, quite the story. Um, I brought up the sports you covered. The what? So have you never done an NBA game? Or did you do any at CBS uh, I did back a in the day? Celtics games locally filling in uh, when people got sick. But uh, I've never done an NBA game for ESPN. It's probably Would you have any desire to? Sports I have. Yeah. yeah just to say I did I'm, all of them. You know, right. the other day when uh, Katina Arnold, who you know from the ESPN PR, was putting together the press release, you know, when I read it, I was struck by the variety of things I've been blessed to do. And again, it kind of goes back to what I said about having been at ESPN where we have so much, but you know, when I was at CBS, had a chance to do the Olympics, which obviously you couldn't have done at ESPN and chance to do the masters and the PGA championship, uh, done the PGA championship now since I've been at ESPN, but you know, to have done basically all the major sports and some of the other things we talked about in the all four golf majors, which I love and passionate about golf. Um, you know, just feel like I, I've been really fortunate to do a really wide variety of things. I, I know you said that when people ask you your favorite sport to call, you don't have an answer. Um, but I'm curious about two things. What has been your all-time single favorite game or event yeah, that you have It's a great called? question. I, I would say, I think you referenced it earlier, uh, Game 7 of the 1992 
National League Championship Series between uh, the Pirates and the Braves. You know, MLB Network did a series. I think it was baseball's greatest games or something like that, and they picked the top whatever, 30, 40, 50 games of all time, and I believe it was number four. And if anything, that might have been too low. You know, I, I remember talking to uh, Steve Hurd from the Elias Sports Bureau, who obviously is an authority on all these sorts of things. And he, he said you can make an argument was the greatest game, you know, baseball game of all time, just because of you know, what it meant. Game seven, you know, Atlanta was the favorite. Pittsburgh led two to nothing. You know, there was so many things that went into the, the bottom of the ninth that were unlikely, including Francisco Cabrera. Uh, getting a hit who barely played in the major leagues that season. So, uh, you know, dramatic ending. You kind of knew that it was the last hurrah for the Pittsburgh Pirates with that group, that that group with Barry Bonds and others was going to break up. A lot of really weird things that happened behind the scenes. Uh, you know, that was the night Tim McCarver got into the episode with Deion Sanders in the locker room after the game. Uh, our We were told after the game that our producer who had produced the whole season of Major League Baseball and CBS with us was not going to go to the World Series for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, I thought I'd kind of botched the call. It was probably the first of my infamous voice cracks, which, by the way, thank you for writing not too long ago that it was maybe the most underappreciated thing in sports. I, had a I was going to bring that up. They read yes. that. And, uh, and I, I appreciate that. You know, at the beginning that night, that was really the first one that I remember. Right. And you know, it was just so loud. Most of the time, it's just a product of it. It's so loud. You know, there's a reason why, you know, singers wear those earpieces or whatever. You know, you, want, you need to be able to hear yourself uh, really to control your voice. And um, it was just so loud in the old Atlanta, Fulton County Stadium. But I remember was I was grabbed, you know, feeling like I was holding on to the desk in the booth and it felt like the stadium was shaking. I mean, it was yeah. that loud. And, uh, but I kind of thought I had botched the call. And then um, why did you think you botched it? What, what made well, you think you botched voice it? Kind of cracked a little bit. Okay. Was, hey, hey. And then, yeah. um, but you know, I, and I had friends in the booth, Billy Andrade is the professional golfers on the champions tour. And I was a longtime friend. He's another New Englander and Red Sox fan. And uh, he and his wife, Jody lived in Atlanta. They were in the back of our booth. And, you know, when we got finished, because we were, we had to do the post game for quite a while. Uh, we're walking down and the stadium's just about empty. And, I remember saying to them, like, oh, my God, that might be the biggest play I ever call in my life. And at the time, I was 30 years old. So I was, you know, new in my at the network level. Um, and, you know, and when I got down to the truck, it, the reaction was just the opposite. The people were coming up to me and hugging me and high-fiving me and telling me, you know, that was so perfect. You're going to play that call forever. And you really nailed it. And that matched the moment. And, you know, when I hear it back now, I, I, I've come to that opinion that, you know, you, whatever your call is, it should reflect the magnitude of the moment, right? The play and what it means. And in that case, the unlikelihood, if that's a wordness of it, you know, same thing with the Michigan, Michigan state, you know, ending of that football game, it was just, you know, so unlikely and so bizarre, you know, and the, the strangest, you know, most uh, surprising ending of a game I've ever done. So, you know, I, with the passage of time now, I've, I've come to appreciate it. And I'm not, I used to get, I don't say embarrassed about the, the voice crack thing, but now it's, you know, it's, I can't make myself do it. So you know, when, when it does happen, not what like goes, I'm doing it on purpose, but uh, right. when it does happen, what goes like are afterwards now, are you like, Oh, there it goes again. Or do you get, are you hard on yourself? That embarrassing that will admit was embarrassing was mm. uh, the playoff game that we did 
John Gruden and I did. Um, was that Chiefs Titans? Kansas City. And there was actually yeah. a, a touchdown that caught call back, so the play didn't even count. Right. But that one, I had been sick um, the whole week. Matter of fact, when we got to Kansas City a couple of days before the game, I couldn't even talk, and to the point where they were making plans for you know, contingency plans. And the Kansas City Chiefs doctor pumped me full of all kinds of medication and. You know, he didn't know what it was. It was allergies or some sort of virus or whatever. So I was basically taking everything and I still wasn't feeling great. And, you know, you're conscious and it's a horrible feeling, right? It's the biggest game you're going to do the whole year. I mean, you do the whole season to get the chance to do this one playoff game. And, um, but I was kind of almost feeling like I was conserving it, you know, not really pushing it on big plays, you know, almost intentionally trying to be low key, um, which I kind of am a lot anyway, but the, uh, so, you know, that I think was more a byproduct of, I had no limited voice to start with. Right. So, uh, but that, that one was really embarrassing. You know, if I, well, if I could, if I could get on YouTube and erase that and having never happened, I'd take that one back, but the rest of them I'm, I'm fine with. I, I can't believe you just said that. Cause I have to admit when I did that piece about, that that column about your voice crack being underappreciated and I went to look up some of the famous ones. That's the most prevalent one that's on YouTube by yeah, far. Yeah, well that one. So don't said, be embarrassed I mean, because even if even but that was just yeah. I mean, I probably shouldn't have even been doing the game in all honesty. But, but don't uh, be no no, but don't regret yeah. it. People loved it. People loved yeah, it, whether I, the play know, counted I, I, or not. People say that all the yeah. time. For everybody who, you know, so oh he's the voice crack guy, like it's a negative to me. No. Like no. that Michigan, Michigan State play not to be self-indulgent here, but I think it's part of the reason why people remember it as vividly as they do. And I'm sorry if that sounds self-absorbed. I don't mean it to be. I try no, no, no. Listen. to make it about myself when I when I do a game. You know, I, I try very hard to do that because it's not about me or the other broadcasters. Right. It's, uh, you know, people tune in to watch the game. My family may care, but other than that, I never know on these Zooms where the camera is. <laughs> I'm looking at you over here. No, no, it's um, all good. Well, I'll be yeah, self-absorbed uh, for a moment. But, you know, so I, I've stopped wearing my, the one that yeah. you wrote about uh, was the Gonzaga, you know, half-court shot. Right. And the interesting thing about that, Jimmy, was I was in Charlotte. You know, that the, the final four was in Indianapolis. But Dick Vitale and I were doing that remotely. So I was in the ESPN studio in Charlotte in a room that was not much bigger than a broom closet, right? So – you have no, there's no, you know, there aren't that many people in there anyway. You get a little bit of the crowd through the, what they're feeding you from Indianapolis. But, you know, I'm trying to call this memorable, you know, one of the great plays in the history of the Final Four. Literally, you know, like doing it from your home office, you know, and, and I'm standing up and screaming, you know, watching it on the monitor. So uh, I, I hope it adds to people's enjoyment of the play. You know, as I said, I don't do it on purpose. If I could, I don't know if I would or not, but, um, I probably wouldn't, right? But uh, yeah, but it, it doesn't yeah. bother me. It, it used to be a little embarrassing, but now it's just if, when it happens, it happens. Yeah. And I get this, you know, he's the voice crack guy. I think it's happened. Like I've done thousands of games. It's probably happened five times, but you're the, you're the voice crack guy. It's a big moment when it, that's how you know it's a big moment when the voice cracks. Appreciate it. It's not happening on a, you know, it's not happening on a three yard run. Michigan State people come up to me all the time. Yeah. And a lot of them can do every word of that play verbatim i've seen t-shirts that were made that has the call word for word 
Uh, somebody took a picture in a restroom in some uh, restaurant in East Lansing. It was a poster on the wall, everything. He has trouble with the snap and the ball is free, blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, hopefully it just helps people remember dramatic moments a little more than they otherwise might have. I'll always remember that moment because I'll be self-absorbent here. I Every year, me and two of my – I have two buddies who come to my house every single year for one Saturday of the college football season – and we watch games and bet every game basically on the board from noon to midnight. And we all had, I think, Michigan State in that game. So we will never forget that as long as we live, my friend. Dan, well, how we, I mean, we were. What I was really proud of um, <laughs> is Chris Spielman really set the whole thing up. You know, and I loved working with him. To me, he's just like Todd. You know, he's a, it's never about him, Todd Blackledge. Uh, you know, it's they're football guys you know they grew up the sons of football coaches and been around it their whole life they have a great appreciation for players and coaches and obviously they're both great players but you know it's never about them and chris kept saying all they need to do is get the punt off there's nobody back there and just get it off you know the only thing that can't happen is you know what happened and then um you know the play ended and our producer and director bo garrett and i believe mike schwab was our director did such a good job you know those are those moments that um, and I think we all kind of learned this from Vince Scully, who was kind of notorious for it. Don't say anything. You know, just stop talking. He used to talk yeah. about he'd actually get up and go away from the microphone to avoid the temptation to say anything. You know, that Francisco yeah. Cabrera play, I don't think we said anything for a minute or more, maybe, because there's nothing you can say. And yeah. the pictures, are especially of that one, you know, Michigan student, I guess, you know, with this look on his face of utter disbelief yeah. you know that's uh, i was really proud of <clears throat> excuse me the job our technical crew and our uh, the rest of the group did that day too that was an all-time and our spotter sure. i mean zach repat is on but our spotter to nail jalen watts jackson who was a pretty obscure he was like a second or third string safety um immediately you know because there's nothing worse on a play like that than you know and Smith goes in and scores the game when he touched. No, it's Jones. You know, right, right. That play is going to live forever, and your terrible call is going to live with it too if you if you get the wrong guy. So Zach is so great, but it's when you work with a spotter that long that you know when he's pointing that enthusiastically at number twenty, you know he has the right guy because sometimes you know the punt will get blocked and you can't really see the number and. Um, you, you want to make sure you got the right guy or the guy who picks it up and he's running for the touchdown. Is that number what, you know, so sometimes, a lot of times, you know, he's not sure. And then in the call, you kind of fill the time, you know, uh, I do. I, I, I always tell Zach, um, please don't tell me unless you're sure. Because <clears throat> on TV, especially you can, you know, you can fill the time till you get it right by talking about, you know, he's at the 20, he's at the 10, whatever. Um, but you want to make sure you have the right person. And, and Zach just completely nailed that. It's funny, over the years of, of interviewing play-by-play folks, um, I, I always if, if someone comes on who calls multiple sports like yourself, I always ask the most difficult to call. And almost everybody says college football because of the numbers and the names. Curious what your take is. Yeah, if I was the czar of all sports, double numbers would be uh, a thing of the past. You, know, you can't have two number sixes. You know, And, and I've had the wrong call and a lot of times you know they they look the same right because they play the same you know one for wide receiver the other guy's a defensive back so you know it's not like okay that must be number six the wide receiver because the other the other number six is defensive tackle 
Um, that doesn't usually happen. So, you know, you, and then if they don't have uh, names on their backs, you know, sometimes with binoculars or whatever. Um, but uh, it, it's part of it is you know, in your preparation, you kind of need to know who the people are who are on special teams because it's usually in those situations when the confusion happens. I mean, you know, one number six is a wide receiver, the other guy's defensive back. So if it's when they're on offense or defense, you pretty much know which number six it is. But double numbers are horrible. And then yeah. <laughs> the the size of the numbers now, I mean, the, the NCAA actually made a rule that you know the numbers have to be visible because a lot of these schools were going through numbers that basically blended into their uniform. You couldn't right. see any number. Right. And um, so, and then you're into this, Jimmy, but most people probably won't, won't care. You know, you, you're into the, the inner workings of this. A really horrible trend in a lot of college campuses has been the broadcast booth has been moved to a really bad place. <laughs> yeah. You know, Ole Miss, they, they, they made the one of the suites near us a lot bigger. And our booth, we could only stand three across. So it's me, the analyst, and you have to make the choice. Do you want the spotter there or the stats person? Because there's really only room for three. And that the other small? person has to be behind. It's Crazy. that small. And a lot of them are, have gotten moved really far away or at a terrible angle. The, the well, what's the one school? What is it? Is it is it Washington where you're basically in the clouds, right? Is it? Is it? Yeah, Washington? I haven't been there. Well, I was there a couple of years ago. They changed the press box there. It's okay. really far back, um, but I don't remember it being terrible. But you no, know, I was starting to say Miami in the Dolphin Stadium, where they played the College Football National Championship game this year. We were in the. Uh, in the end zone, the corner of the end zone. So the goal line's here and the rest of the field's this way. We were 20 yards further at an angle. So anything beyond like the 40-yard line closest to us, you had to call off a TV screen. I mean, it was COVID. There weren't that many people there. There were a million places they could put you. you know? Right, so, right, right. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of times the broadcast booth has been moved. You know, the old, the Boston, the old Boston Guard were talking about broadcasting hockey. One of my favorite things to do was the old Beanpot Hockey Tournament, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but it's the four Division One schools in Boston. They play the two uh, first two Monday nights in February, BC, BU, Harvard, and Northeastern. And, uh, you know, the winners play the next Monday night, and the, two, the losers play in the consolation game. But it's a big deal in Boston. But the old broadcast booth at the, at the old Boston Garden was in the front row of the balcony, which basically hung over center ice. I mean, you you could hear the players talking to each other. I mean, you were that close. And then when they knocked down the building and built the new TD garden, you know, the broadcast booth went to the ninth floor. And I remember uh, asking one of the, the Bruins people, why are the booths up on the roof? I said, well, you know, those suites, we get a lot of down below on the third or fourth, fifth level. We, we get a lot of money for those. Well, how much money do you get from the TV rights holders? <laughs> and they <laughs> we actually need to see the game. A lot of right. people down there having a cocktail and a shrimp and, you know, that are talking to each other. And, oh, there was a goal? Who scored? Oh, is the TV <laughs> on? Can I watch the replay? You know, so while the broadcasters are down there looking straight down, trying to identify people. So that's a bad trend. You know, the, the broadcast booths have gotten moved uh, to a bad place in favor of luxury suites where people half pay attention to the game anyway. Yeah. Yeah, all the, yeah, does the that people sound in the whiny? Because if it does, I apologize. I, no, the people in the suites don't care. I've learned, like, nobody cares about our problem. Right. I hate well, that's TV where people talk about how long the game was or, you know, I missed my flight last night or blah, blah, blah. People don't care. 
Nor should they. I care, I care only, not from the stand. I care because I'm into like the daily minutia of life and the sh- struggles that we all go through. So complaining is, is a pro for me. But, um, you know, I know a lot of people don't want to hear it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I want you mentioned the Titans and, and the Chiefs and you getting to call that playoff game. You did Monday Night Football for two years. I, I, I guess it would be fair to say it didn't work out. Uh, looking back, anything stand out to you about why it didn't work out? What Anything you'd do differently? Well, um, you know, we could probably do a half hour just on this. I don't know how much time you have. Let's but, go. Uh, you know, when I got hired, um, I remember thinking, matter of fact, I called Chris Spielman, who I've been working with prior to that. And he was one of the first people I called after my family, after they offered to me. And the, I said to him, I just took the money in a football job. And I'm, I'm feeling like, I wonder if I made a mistake. I love college football. And he said, oh, no, you didn't make a mistake. It's Monday Night Football. You have to do it. And, and of course, you have to do it, right? And, and I'm glad that I did say yes, and I'm glad I did it. You know, when I was hired, part of what I was uh, instructed to do was to try to make it more conversational, um, make it, you know, a little lighter, bring out more of John Gruden's personality that you, know, you used to see from time to time, <clears throat> excuse me, on that quarterback show that he did, uh, QB Camp. 
Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you do a half hour, you know, they did a half hour special with all the quarterback prospects, and you know, get into more storytelling, which is something that I've done a lot of in college football. That's one of the reasons I really enjoy doing college football. There's much more storytelling for the most part. You know, people watching don't know much about the players, whereas you know. When you're watching an NFL game, you really don't want to know, but Tom Brady has a stamp collection or something. You know, so it's uh, it's really not a part of the presentation. So, um, but I think to be totally candid, you know, John Gruden enjoyed the X and O part of it. You know, I call this play 96 Wanda, blah, blah, blah. And he loved to tell us straight. And he told me when I first got the job, I don't like stories, you know, but he, so he didn't want the stories and he didn't want, you didn't really want to engage in conversation. You know, there were times when I would ask him a question or make a point where you know, he didn't respond. And I think it was just because uh, he was so focused on, I'm going to diagram this play and he, he just didn't want to do it. So there were times when it, I think it came across as being awkward and it was awkward. It was awkward for me. You know, you're standing there next to somebody wondering, you know, if I ask him a question about this, is, is he going to answer it or is he going to be annoyed that I asked him or so it was, you know, it was uncomfortable. The part of, you know, now the part of it that bothered me was, you know, the narrative from some people in your line of work. Oh, well, it, that must have been that was a little too big for McDonough, you know. I did the World Series when I was 30. I don't think anybody thought I was nervous or out of place. Maybe a few people did. You know, I've done all these other events that we talked about. Um, it, it, it wasn't that I felt like that I was nervous, you know, the, oh, this is Monday Night Football. This is, you know, a big gig. I'm not sure I'm capable of this. You know, I think if we had, and again, I'm not, this is not meant to be critical of John Gruden. I mean, he was great at that aspect of it. It's what he wanted to do. It's what the producer and director, you know, that's, when you're putting up the replays, uh, he needs to talk about them. You know, it was the direction that they chose to go in most of the time, which I understand. You know, John's the analyst. TV's an analyst-driven medium. That was his strength. They played his strengths. It made sense. But, you know, it just didn't match with what I thought I was there to do and what I had typically done uh, in my career to earn the opportunity to be there. You know, I'm used to interacting with Bill Raftery and Jay Billis. I think if, you know, if I was sitting there with them – I don't think people's perception would have been, well, this is too big of a or he's not meant to do this. You know what I mean? So right. again, not meaning to be critical of Gruden or anybody else. Um, I understand why it went the way it did, but I just think it was not a great dynamic um, based on his strengths, my strengths and kind of the way the broadcast went. Did, did you so have, it, it was wasn't there... great, but you know, I'm glad I had the chance to do it. Um, yeah. But did I think, did I think we were bad? No, I thought it was fine, but it could have been great, in my opinion, and it wasn't. Did you ever have a moment during a game or any time in year one or year two where it hit you like, oh, this isn't working or, you know, that we're not, we're yeah. not um, meshing? The, the first night, there was one or two. The first game we did was in Washington, Steelers and, and Washington. And there were, there were one or two times where I said something that I expected would elicit a response, and it, and it didn't. And I just thought, to, actually to the point where um, I thought he didn't hear me. And, you know, Mike Tirico, I talked to Mike, you know, Mike had, was my predecessor. He's a really good friend back to the Syracuse days. Um, we kind of overlapped. He was coming in just as I was leaving. But, you know, we've been friends since the mid-80s. And 
one of the things after when I talked to him was he said, you need when you're going to if you're going to address something to John, you need to make sure that he you have his attention because he's because he does do the replays a lot. He's a lot of times he's in conversation with the truck, as you know, and probably people listen to this are probably into broadcasting. But the you know, we have buttons on our headset where we can talk to the truck, the producer, the director, the graphics people, whomever, it, like it's an intercom. And we can say, hey, you know, nothing happens after this play. Can you get a shot of the coach? I want to tell that story about blah, blah, blah. So that's why a lot of times it's really in sync because mm -hmm. the talkback button is a really important tool. And John used it exceedingly well. But a lot of times you don't know if someone's talking in the other guy's ear or the other right. woman, the woman's ear, if you're working with right. a woman. So, um, so I think there were times when actually I was saying something to him and someone else was talking in his ear. So that, yeah. you know, that's going to happen. That happens to everybody. Yeah. But I've had it happen to me where someone is, you know, an analyst is saying something to me that they expect their response and the producer's talking here and you just didn't even hear it. So yeah, there were, it, it, there were a number of times when it was yeah. uh, uncomfortable and, and Did I it ever across that way. I don't think anybody who watched right. it would be surprised to hear me say that. Was there ever a conversation? Sure, though? Sure, you know, I'm I'm taking my share of the of the blame for the parts that they didn't go well because it's a collaborative effort and uh, and as I said, I don't think it was terrible, but I, I think it could have been better. I'm curious about but one I, thing. I, you I don't like the narrative that somehow it was too big for me because I've done other yeah. things that just as many people, if not more, watch. Yeah. I'm not well, a I'm person who I'm not nervous. You know, I work a lot. Of people get nervous before they go on the air. Uh, I'm not one of those people. You know, Todd Blackledge and I, if anything, are probably laughing too much in the moments leading up to the, the open. So yeah, that, that's the only part of it that bothers me, well, but I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity, Jimmy, because you know, when I got it, I mean, it's still Monday night football. Um, you know, if you can make the argument, it's the most iconic franchise in sports TV. You know, it's not what it once was. It couldn't be. Right now we have Sunday night football and Thursday night football. And you know, every game's on on Sunday and all these college games are on every night of the week. It doesn't stand there mostly alone like it used to. But it's still special. You know, I was really moved by, you know, when we go to the player and coaches meetings. You know, I remember Jameis Winston, we did a game at Tampa Bay, talking about how, you know, I've grown up my whole life dreaming about playing on Monday Night Football. So, you know, it's still special when, for the people who are on it. And it was special for me to be, you know, I was the fifth play-by-play -play person in 47 years. The others were Keith Jackson, Frank Gifford, Al Michaels, Mike Tirico. You know, just to be included in that group was uh, pretty awesome and still is. Uh I'm curious about one thing you said. You said that as soon as you accepted the job, you called Chris Spielman and said, did I make a mistake? What, what made you well, have to, I what loved made... college football and I knew I was going to miss college football. And I, I did gotcha. miss it. You know, we, yeah. Saturdays we'd be at, usually we'd go visit the home team on Saturday when I was doing Monday football. So we'd go to their practice facility, watch practice if they had one and then meet with players and coaches. And then we'd see the visiting team on, on Sunday when they got to their hotel. And, you know, invariably, as you're walking through these buildings, football buildings or uh, even the hotels, whatever, the yeah, catch a college football game <laughs> and you'd see, you know, 85,000 people at Clemson going crazy. And you think, you know, I really missed that. You know, there, there is a, an atmosphere. There's a color and pageantry about college football that's different from the NFL. You know, NFL is much. Uh, I think the NFL is great. I watch it. I'm a fan. But um, but the atmosphere is different. You know, there's yeah, just a for lot sure. more build up to the game. You know, the, all the traditions on these various campuses. It's, it's funny. not the same. It's funny because what I remember about that two year run you had there, I, I don't remember. I mean, listen, you would know it because you lived it. I don't remember if, if someone says to me, Sean McDonough, Monday Night Football. I don't think of the narrative that anyone thought 
you weren't big enough for it. I do remember, weren't there a lot of, I don't want to use the word controversy because that's really strong, but maybe there was a little blowback because you would hammer the officials sometimes. <laughs> and I don't know, did you yeah, ever get heat I from mean, the NFL I, I or from ESPN? Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, no, no, that's okay. No, I mean, no one at ESPN ever said, hey, you need to back off. Um, right. You know, I definitely... And no one from the league ever directly said anything to me. But you know, you know, you kind of get the sense that the <laughs> league wasn't happy about the narrative. You know, the the ending of of my tenure at Monday Night with Monday Night Football was strange because, you know, when I got the the job, the Monday Night Football job, John Skipper was president of ESPN, um, and John Wildhack was basically you know the number two. And John kind of hired me, John Wildhack, and then he left very shortly thereafter to go to be the athletic director at the Harvard of Central New York, uh, Syracuse University. And at the end of our second season, you'll remember this, ESPN convened a big powwow. They asked all the talent, all the sports to come to Bristol, and they basically gave us a pep talk. And it was John Skipper and Connor Shell. And because the narrative around then was that, you know, ESPN was kind of on the slide and, um, and, you know, they actually did a great job of telling us, you know, don't believe it. We're not going to lose this property. And matter of fact, we're going to bid on that. We're going to try to get this and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the future's bright and Disney's doing fine. And so I think, and then I saw Skipper on the way out and he kind of patted me on the back and said, you know, you're doing a great job, blah, 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 blah. And I left there really feeling good. And then a week later, he resigned. Um, within days of that, John Gruden announces he's leaving and going back to coaching. So no one really knew exactly who was in charge. You know, we had several management people who all had kind of similar levels and titles. Um, they brought uh, the great George Bodenheimer back, but he was just, you know, there to make sure the building didn't catch on fire. You know, he, he didn't want to make decisions like that by his own admission. And he's, he is the greatest of the great, you know, you talk about all the people you've met in this job, you know, who do you admire the most? He would be, I, there's nobody I admire more than him, but uh, especially for what he's doing now with the D foundation, he's just such a good charitable guy more than anything else. But the, um, so anyway, at that playoff game, we talked about earlier, which is Gruden's last game, another, you know, strange, bizarre thing. Cause uh, you know, I, I wished him well in the opening, you know, we, we kind of felt like, well, we need to address this. And then he wouldn't even admit that he was going to be the coach of the Raiders in the open. Well, you know, nothing's been decided yet. We're like, what? The, uh, so that was bizarre in and of itself. Yeah, but, sure. um, but the narrative then from these two or three people who were kind of all seemed to be involved in decision-making was we're going to go out and, you know, get you the, the perfect partner. And, you know, we want to make it more storytelling, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, this will kind of give us the opportunity to do that. So, right. um, but then I think the more they looked at it, the more they thought, you know what, this is kind of a change to opportunity to hit the whole reset button. Matter of fact, none of the, you know, Jay Rothman's not producing anymore. He, I think Lisa's the only person who's kind of still there among the, the talent and the Lisa Salters, who's awesome. I, I was, you know, I, I don't want to put but, you in uh, it. You know, Chip Dean's not directing anymore. Jay Rothman's yeah, not. Yeah. I think it was kind of a part of the process. So, you know, when it was obvious that they might uh, replace the play-by-play -play person too, you know, I was uh, I was certainly open to it. You know, I um, 
I really missed college football. Matter of fact, I've mentioned Zach with Patches on our spot a couple of times, but I called him, tell him we were going back. He said, good. We used to have fun. <laughs> so, uh, and we are yeah. having fun. So there you it, go. it was, it's the right thing for me. You know, I yeah. was always appreciate having had the opportunity. And as I said, it's a great honor to be included in that company and be, have been a part of that package, but I, I'm in the right place for me. At least you didn't have to work with an analyst who they put on a crane. But I don't want you to respond to that because that would not be nice <laughs> to you. But that really was the most bizarre thing ever. Um, yeah, I, I, I hate the reasons of that. That was after my time. Yeah, uh, I hate to sort of. I will say this: I think they've put together a really nice booth now. I think Steve and uh, and Brian and Lewis are doing a, a really good job, and I'm glad that they've stuck with them. You know, I think uh, any booth takes time, especially you know. Like, you know, let's talk about working with, with John Gruden. You know, you're doing one game a week. I mean, I, you know, I, I did 39 games, I think, with him total. That's not a lot, you know. No. <laughs> you, know you, you know, you do learn kind of the rhythm and timing and the, their likes and dislikes, but that takes time. So I'm glad they've uh, stuck with the group. And I'm really glad that Steve's going to be a huge part of our hockey coverage, too, because uh, obviously he's a great hockey person and yes. loves it. Huge I, think, uh, I think when he comes on the air to start, you know, the Stanley Cup finals is our host that that, that will just add uh, to the, the big time feel of it. Kind of like when I see Tariko on these NBC events as the host, you know, it, when Mike's involved, it feels big. Two more. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, we, I mentioned some of the, you know, we just touched on the things you've called. You obviously did the World Series for CBS, Monday Night Football, the college football. I mean, everything now in it. But I do you ever feel sort of, I mean, I mentioned the underappreciated voice crack, but do you ever feel like underappreciated as sort of the elite play-by-play people? You know, you always hear this, you know, you always hear about Joe Buck and Jim Nance. It feels like you should be in that conversation. Do you ever think about that? I mean, listen, we all have egos in this business, so it's, you know, only natural, but I'm just curious if how much that gets on your mind. Well, there must be something about your question asking, because I've, talk about a lot of these subjects before, but I've never delved into as much as I have. These I appreciate things. that. Um, you know, for the the longest time, I was labeled underrated so often that I almost thought being underrated was overrated, right? I mean, you know, it's right. like almost every reference uh, in uh, print by a lot of people whose opinion I really appreciate, you know. Um, so I appreciated that, you know. To be totally honest, yes, you know, I'd like to, I think, based on the the volume of things I've done, and I hope I've done at a high level, that you would like to have your name be mentioned in that list. I appreciate it. You just said it. But what I appreciate more than anything is um, that among the people you mentioned, I think they, I know they view me that way. You know, Reese Davis has said to me many times, you're, you're the best play-by-play guy there is in, in, on any network in any sport. And he said, when I got started doing football games, I watched you. And, you know, when I got the hockey gig, I, I had text messages from Jim Nance, from Marv Albert, from Mike Tirico, Kevin Harlan, Joe Buck, um, all saying the same thing. Like, you, you deserve Mike Green. You know, you, you deserve this. We're happy for you. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean – do I spend a lot of time thinking about it? No. Um, do I, would I like to be uh, mentioned in the, among those same people? Sure. I would be, um, you know, and maybe this hockey is another chance to do it. I mean, Mike Emmerich, you know, hockey, as you talked about the ratings, it wasn't mm-hmm. the highest rated sport when he was doing it. 
and he was voted the national sportscaster of the year by us, you know, the people in the National Sports Media Association more than once. And I voted for him more than right. once. I think mean, I voted for him every time that he won it. So, hmm. you know, I think this is another opportunity to hopefully demonstrate that I can do a, an exciting sport yeah. at a high level. But I care more about what my peers think, um, honestly, because I think not to I hope this doesn't sound the wrong way. You know, we know better than anybody else. Right. What goes into doing it and. Right. Uh, what goes into doing it well or poorly or whatever. So um, I've always felt like I had respect of my peers and uh, appreciation of my peers. Which, and, and, you know, and, and people in your business like you, uh, Richard Deitch, you know, the people who do it at the highest level. Um, you know, I, I like Phil Mushnick. You know, he's I know he's a, a taste, you know, for some people. But if I probably like him because he's been exceedingly nice to me. Matter of fact, he. My dad You're the only one. one. <laughs> we ran into Mushnick somewhere years ago. This had to be a long time. My dad's been gone for 18 and a half years. But the uh, matter of fact, yesterday would have been my dad's 86th birthday, which was uh-huh. still an emotional thing. But the, I used to uh, love your dad on the NBC pregame show, break, giving yeah, the information. That was when I was. Yeah. That's when, like, you got information. Money, pay for Syracuse. <laughs> and that was when you got but information from the pregame told my shows. My dad one time, there must be something wrong with your kid because I like him. <laughs> You're the so, only one. Uh, You're the only one. Yeah, but the uh, anyway. So you know, well, listen, I, I I appreciate it, but I I don't get hung up on it. I'm sorry, but that's a really long. Obviously, story. listen. Your resume is second to none, and best or play-by-play announcer is a subjective thing. But I will say you're the right. smartest play-by-play announcer because you're not on Twitter, right? And that is a and brilliant that's really decision. Against myself, <laughs> first of all, I don't care. You know, my 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 sister. <laughs> Used to say on Monday Night Football, you know, like I said, just, just unless somebody threatens to kill me, I really don't want it. You know, <laughs> <they've said. laughs> and then, uh, but my sister works in the PR business, so she has to be on social media all the time for a yeah. job. And so yep. she used to say to me, well, the, the people who are saying nice things about you have 250,000 followers and the people who are, are saying you suck have six. So, um, you know, I hope that's, you know. Yeah. People are entitled to their opinion. I just don't care. And what it really is, Jimmy, is a, a defense against myself. You know, yeah, I, it's I would smart. Fire it's back at somebody, hey, you know, blah blah blah. So yeah. I, I just do it really to prevent. And and I don't. I have seen so many people who do what we do um, get bothered by it while they're on there. You know, they'll, they'll check their mentions and then they'll read something. And I've heard people respond to something that was said on Twitter on the air and not mentioned. I'm responding to this on Twitter, but right. it was almost like. You think I was too hard on the Bears defense, so now I'm going to say something nice about the Bears defense. You know, you right. can't. When, crazy. If you start crazy. letting it affect what you say during the game, uh, that's a that's yeah. a big mistake. You're very mind. smart to not be on there. Last thing, and I, and I ask this of anybody who has ever worked with the guy, and you've worked you worked with him for a long time. I need a Bill Raftery story. Oh gosh! <laughs> Give me anything, anything late night uh, drinking, anything at the bars, I, anything. <laughs> well, I could write a book. Uh, just about Bill and my time with Bill. You know, I worked with Bill for a very long time. And then long Jay time. Bill has joined us, and that made it even more fun. Um, of all the boots I've been in, I think I've worked with 160 different analysts. I keep a list of all the analysts, the sideline report producers, directors, and it's pages and pages. But in I'm not going to ask you for sports, I'm not going to ask you for a name. But do you have a single favorite? Well, there's nobody better than Raph. There's no better person than Raph, right? I mean, right. And, and I think the other people who I've worked with. Would, would understand why I picked him over them because he, everybody feels that way about him. You know, right. uh, Jim O'Connell, the great sports writer, who, um, 
I think worked for the AP for a hundred years, wrote an article one time about Raff and he was asking me for a couple of quotes. And I just said, if you don't like Bill Rafter, there's something wrong with you. Now, you may not like his style on the air. You know, no, as you were still talking about earlier, it's subjective. Nobody has a hundred percent approval rating or popularity. I think only Vin People, Scully is the only one ever would be Vin. Right. It's a hundred percent approval you know, rating. <laughs> yeah. If, you know, and if, again, I would say the same thing. Like if you didn't like Vin Scully's broadcast, there's probably something wrong with you. Um, hmm. But that's the way I feel about Bill as a person. Yeah. The, and that just, you know, and I, and I still talk with him two or three times a week. It's amazing how many times I'm somewhere at a charity golf thing or at a restaurant with somebody and someone asked me about Raph and we wind up FaceTiming him and, you know, he's, uh, he's just the, the best. I, I think my, I've told this story before. Um, the, when it was three of us, you know, we kind of used to like to be the first one who could bust on one of the other guys or both of the other guys. And, Usually you had to do it in the on-cam opening because, you know, the, the gloves were coming off in a respectful, humorous way, hopefully. So one time we were in uh, we were at Notre Dame doing a Saturday night game and we had all arrived separately, had our own rental cars. And then we were doing a big Monday up at Marquette, which was maybe a three hour drive. I don't know, more or less. So we decided we'll drive up together. Billis, as usual, had the nicest car because, you know, he's he's. He's big time. Yeah. <laughs> and I say that lovingly and, 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 and jest. But uh, so he had like an SUV. So anyway, we, we decide, okay, we're going to meet in front of the hotel Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. We'll all drive to the little local South Bend airport down the road and we'll dump two cars and jump in and go. So as I'm coming out, there's Jay always on time. As a matter of fact, always early. Uh, he's already pulling out of the garage. It's freezing cold. It had been snowing. Uh, Bill, I'm getting my car. And Bill is walking around the parking lot with the key thing like this, looking at all these. You know, it's a hotel parking. All the cars look the same, right? They're all on the rental car. So I get in. I'm pulling out. Bill is still going up and down every row. And it's freezing. I said, Bill, get in, get in. So, you know, what are we looking for? What is, I don't know. It's white. It's, a, you know, it's a Taurus or whatever. You know, it's a we drive by every car. I said, by any chance, when you got here uh, Thursday night, did you uh, have a couple pops at dinner at uh, Parisi's and leave your car? Have somebody bring you back? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so we take him to the Italian restaurant. This car is covered in ice and snow. I mean, you couldn't even, or like, you couldn't get the key in the lock. It was iced over. And we're sitting there trying to bang the so to the point about, you know, being the first one to kind of hammer the other guys. And a lot of times it was just totally an inside joke, which is probably really unprofessional. But we come on the air Monday night. Welcome to Marquette, blah, blah, blah. It's Connecticut and Marquette. I'm Sean McDonough, along with Jay Billis and the star of Dude, Where's My Car, Bill <laughs> Raftery. You know, it's like no one, no one has any idea what that means. But, right. you know, we did. So a that lot of times is it was an tremendous. inside joke. But uh just the oh, best. that's tremendous. Person, uh, I tremendous. know, you know, loved by everybody. When he got the Final Four gig, um, you know, at a, as I say to him all the time, nobody's accomplished more in their 80s than you, Bill. I mean, uh, which is a joke. I think he was in his early 70s. But, the, <laughs> uh, but you know, to, to get that opportunity, I, I was so happy for him. He wins the sports Emmy. You know, it's like he didn't even know he won. You call him, he immediately ch changes the subject to something else, you know. Uh, right. He's the best. I miss working with him a lot. Yeah. 
That's a great story. I appreciate you. Have you that. ever had him on? Yeah, I, I have had him on. I've had him on, and I've, I've, I've. I promise you that he yeah. not changes the subject so fast. He, um, I had a great moment with him. CBS had um, it was before the tournament. CBS always has like a breakfast with all the announcers, play by play in the in, right. in Manhattan. And I was talking to him and Ian, and I, I said to upgrades. yes, for sure. And I said to I said to Raft. Um, is there any way you'd ever join Twitter? And he said, no, and I'll tell you why. He said, because I'm afraid I'll have 10 drinks at night and then tweet something and lose my job. Mm-hmm. And that I quote, I tweeted that quote and people could not get enough of it. I mean, it was just typical, you know, it was the epitome of Bill. But he'd right have there. a trillion followers if he did, oh, do, yeah. Uh, yeah. did do Twitter, but he's the but best. Yeah. And, you know, just you know, like, I'll give you an example. Um, the we do he does the final four obviously now with Jim and Nance and Grant Hill and Tracy Wilson and they I've been doing the international feed ESPN has the broadcast rights for the rest of the world matter of fact that Gonzaga play was on ESPN international on 200 countries around the world but not in the United States so um they get access to at the final four to players coaches you know production meetings they're sitting in the room and talk we we don't, you know, sometimes we leverage our friendships with, with these coaches if we know them from over the years. But so uh, but every year at the final four, Bill will take a lot of his time to sit with me and go through what every coach and every player said to them in the production wow. strategy, biographical tidbits, injuries. Um, and, the, and the most unbelievable example was this year, as I mentioned a long time ago now, uh, I was doing it from Charlotte and Dick Vitale was in his home in Florida. And uh, so I, I try to get a couple of the coaches and the SIDs on the phone, but um, you know, it's the final four they're running around. So Bill and I talked the, we're in the Friday night before the Saturday national semifinals. And he gave me all this information. He hadn't talked to Mark few and, and Zaggy yet. It was, they were going to meet fairly late the night before. So he said, and I'll call you back after I talked to few. I'm like, no, Bill, it's late. You don't have to be. Well, sure enough, you know, I'm going to have been 11 o'clock at night. Here's the phone call to go through everything that Mark Few said about yeah. the players and the strategy. So uh, he's the best. He is yeah. absolutely the best. Yeah. He's a character we, for sure. I, I'm someday, Billis and I have talked a lot about this. You know, we, we'd like to write a book about it because, you know, that's uh, that probably wasn't even the best. It wasn't even probably close to the best story, but on or off the air. But um, yeah, and we'd like to work together again someday. You know, we're hoping yeah. that maybe oh. BS or Fox would let Bill come back and just do a another big Monday game for the, yeah. for the fun of it. Cause that would be, I was never that would more be fun to be a part of the group than I was that one. Yeah, that would, that would be a lot of fun for us. I appreciate you coming on. This was great. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, best of luck with the NHL and glad you're still going to be doing college football. Yeah. Don't thank you. you. Me too. Love Todd Blackledge. <laughs> There's another guy you should have on. I mean, you know, you talk about maybe underappreciated, uh, underrated. We had that conversation earlier. I, I, don't, I don't know if he is. I, I think most people in our business really appreciate him, but I, I think he's as good as any analyst in any sport and a, a wonderful guy too. Yeah. I, yep. That's one of the things I feel so fortunate about Jimmy was just uh, having done all these events, you know, the, the, it's like any experience in life. It's the people who make it special and uh, you know, to work with people like those we've mentioned um, that's the best part of the whole thing for me. Yep. And it'll be here before you know it. A couple of months away, we'll yeah, get back into college football. Yeah, a couple months away. So. And then yep. the hockey, not far off beyond that. And um, 
you know, hockey people are awesome. You know, that's always been kind of the narrative. The hockey people are the nicest people. And I think that's probably true too. So really looking forward to getting back uh, more closely into the hockey community. All right. Have fun and enjoy it. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Jimmy. Take, appreciate take you. Care. Be well. Take care. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, time for the weekly Train of Thought segment. As always, joined by my buddy from WFAN in New York and SNY, Sal Akata. Sal, how's it going? Great. Great to be joined with you again here as we continue on through the weeks of the summer now. You must be loving this hot weather. Can't step outside for two seconds without sweating your rear end off. It's a big problem. I'll say that. It's a big, <laughs> you know what the problem is? The problem is you really, you've got to just have a plan. Like you've got to minimize how much you're going to be outside unless you're at a pool or a beach. Right. And inside, you know, you just stay stay in the air conditioning. That's, you know, people say, oh, they do all this stuff in the summer. Yeah, I stay in front of the air conditioning. <laughs> That's the summer. I put it on 63 and I sit in front of it. Wow. 63? Yes. Wow. That's my temperature. That sometimes is insane. I, sometimes at night I go to 62. What? I am about I gotta, 10 I gotta, degrees higher. I, well, I got to be freezing when I go to sleep. I don't mind it. Usually for us, it's like 68. 
Um, but and that feels pretty cold to me. I can't sixty three. Holy I like cow! That, yeah. I'm not fooling around. I bring my jacket next time you invite me over for a barbecue in the summer. <laughs> uh, I, I try to keep it like a meat locker in here. Um, so obviously the only story anyone cared about, it seemed like over the weekend was the Rachel Nichols, Maria Taylor, brouhaha that the New York Times broke. I wrote about it in Wednesday's Train of Thoughts. <clears throat> and it, it what I found, I found a lot of things interesting, and I think there's a lot of layers and nuance to it, and I don't think it's a pretty straightforward story. But I will say, the fact that ESPN thought they would be able to cover it up is what I find amazing, because this happened last year. And if not for someone leaking it to the Times last week or whenever, nothing would have happened. Rachel Nichols, this ESPN knew about this last year, and Rachel Nichols was allowed to work the NBA Finals. Now it gets leaked, so she's not allowed to work the NBA Finals. It's The whole thing is just bizarre. It's a mess, and I do think that it starts with the company who allows this and, as you said, tried to cover it up. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, and obviously I'm paying attention to the story. How could you not? If you're on Twitter or, you know, whatever, you, well, you we're can't in the help business. It. I mean, it's right. I mean, it's in our faces. I'm turned off by the whole thing for both of them, for ESPN. I mean, the fact that they're pulling shows, they're letting hosts dictate who they talk to, who they don't, the whole thing. I'm not just talking about recently. I'm talking about from start to finish right. of it. The fact that they didn't nip it in the bud. I, I don't, you know what? As a sports fan, I don't care about rich, egotistical anchors. I want the games. And the fact, and I'm not even a huge NBA fan with the Knicks out of it, especially, but I want to focus on the NBA finals. I don't care about Maria Taylor and Rachel Nichols and what's going on with the ESPN. I'm sorry. So it becomes too big a story about them. Rachel Nichols said it right where you don't want to become the story. Well, guess what? They have become the story. And I don't think anybody, whether it's ESPN, Maria Taylor, or Rachel Nichols, I don't think anybody comes out as somebody you could root for and necessarily, nope. you know, they think that, uh, you know, you want to get behind in this situation. I just don't care. Give me the game. Once I read, I mean, and I, I, I just want to be clear, when I say cover up, I don't even know if they, I don't necessarily know they were covering up, but they just decided not to address it and they were hoping it would go away. And then boom, here we are. You know, it was 4th of July weekend. I'm, I'm trying to stay off Twitter. I'm trying not to pay attention to anything. And someone texted me that story at like nine o'clock in the morning. And when I read it, I knew it was going to be enormous because there's a lot of things here. You have Rachel Nichols saying what she said. Uh, you have the fact that someone taped her and sent it to Maria Taylor. Then you have the ESPN didn't do anything about it for a year. And now what I'm surprised about is the story was crazy enough when it came out. But since then, ESPN, like pulling Rachel Nichols off the jump for one day, they pulled her off the NBA finals. A layer in this, another layer that I wrote about, you know, you can make what's interesting here is this last week. Somebody leaked to Andrew Martian in the New York Post that Rachel Taylor's contract was up in a couple of weeks, three weeks, I think. She turned down $5 million last year when it was offered to her. She, they claim she wanted near Stephen A. Smith money, which is $8 million a year. And now ESPN, because of COVID and cutting people left and right, they're offering 2 to $3 million. That was in the Andrew Martian story. Right. Now, do I think... First, that was the first thing that came out, right? With Marie Right, that contract. was last week. Yeah. Right. Now, do I think someone, I don't, I'm not saying this was Maria Taylor, but I do I think someone from Maria Taylor's camp or Maria Taylor backer or fan 100%. saw that, got pissed, and then leaked this stuff to the Times? Uh, you know, of course. All, 
And her contract, now she's hosting NBA Countdown, which she did last year as well, during the finals. Her contract, if the finals go seven games, her contract ends before then. So who knows? And then the other thing I realized it's a mess, ESPN has so many people for NBA. Like you hear, like they have Maria Taylor and Rachel Nichols. Doris Burke does sidelines, but for the finals, she calls the games on radio, but they have Cassidy Hubbard. They have Ramona Shelburne. Malika Andrews. Yeah, like they... The whole thing and ESPN's NBA coverage when it comes to studio has always been a complete mess. I mean, they had the Bill Simmons Magic Johnson show, then Michelle Beadle. That was a disaster. Then they went to the they named Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor like, you know, rotating hosts of the show in 2019. Who has rotating hosts of a studio show? Like Kurt Menefee doesn't take off three weeks during the NFL season and Kevin Burkhart does the like it doesn't like it's bizarre. Everything about it was bizarre. Also, again, I think that. I mean, the, the salaries, forget about the numbers, which I just, they'll never add. As somebody who's in sports media and wants to get paid as much as possible, those numbers will never compute to me. It doesn't make any sense what they make. But as a sports fan, I mean, we're in the media, so maybe it's more juicy to us. As a sports fan, would you care? Do you even watch pre-game coverage? I mean, I watch some if I enjoy it, but I don't watch ESPN. If it was TNT, I would watch it because I like those guys. And you even know, those Barkley. guys. I love Barkley like that. And that's always been my favorite show dating back for years. But even that, I'm not making a point to watch every night. I mean, I'd rather watch the game. And if I happen to have it on before the game, sure. Halftime, you get to see it, maybe a little post game, but I'm not seeking it out. And I even know when you come over for football Sundays, I watch some of the pregames more so than you. You couldn't care less about the pregame stuff for the most part. You know, for it's it's about right. the fans, and and we're in the media, so maybe there's a little more interest for us because it's part of our job. Fans, I don't think give a darn about the the pregame stuff and who's hosting and who's not. Just give me the information and give me the game. And it, the shame of it is that Rachel t- Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor are both very talented. Like they don't need this. I mean, this is you know. Agreed. It takes uh, yeah. away. It takes away from both of. Look, it's nobody's fault. I mean, maybe other than ESPN, I don't think that it's uh, Maria Taylor's fault. Rachel Nichols. You know, you could. I mean, there's blame to go all around for everybody. But now, it, it mo- you, will you ever be able to look at either of those two again without thinking of this? That's how big this right. has got. Well, that's what ends up. Ha- that's what ends up happening. That's the problem. That's they're known for this now, and that's a shame. It's really, and who knows what you know. People are saying Rachel Nichols is going to lose her job. Again, why didn't she lose her job last year? Why now? It's absurd. And Maria Taylor, you know, she may, you know, maybe she feels like she got burned by ESPN. Who knows? You know, that that story by Martian could not have gone over well with Maria Taylor, obviously, saying that, you know, she turned down $5 million a year. I don't blame her for being pissed that that was leaked. She has every right to be. Um and I'm sure that was an ESPN thing's a mess. doing, obviously. You think about well, who ESPN knows? did that, so then they fight back. You don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? The whole thing is a mess. That's all I know. It's a mess. It's really, it's crazy. And then Adam Silver weighs in. I hope this doesn't distract from the NBA Finals. Too late. He said like, that? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. I hope yeah. this doesn't Something distract. like that. You the, know. the fact that even the commissioner, we well, talk about ES- this. Well, ESPN said they pulled the jump and Rachel, they pulled Rachel Nichols. They don't. They want the focus to be on the finals. Well, it's not happening. Sorry. I think it would have been more on the finals if they just let the show run. By pulling right. it, they made a bigger deal of it. Right. I agree. And she did the show. Rachel Nichols did the jump Monday, but they pull it Tuesday. Again, it makes no sense. All right. And when did they make the decision to take her off sidelines? I mean, that's another aspect. Over of the it. weekend. Over yeah. the weekend. After the story came out. Because she did right. the sidelines last year. Crazy. Um, two baseball things. I don't. 
you might have a different take, and I, I maybe I don't know. I don't understand why people are so upset about the All Star Game uniforms. It, like, it's really not something you should be worried about. It's just a stupid uniform for a stupid game that you shouldn't even be watching. Well, I know they're ugly. I got it. Okay, why you can't care this much about the stupid MLB All Star Game uniforms? I, the amount of people I've seen go off about this is absurd. I think it's more filler than anything else. I, I really don't. As somebody who grew up, and I know you and I are big baseball fans. It's an East Coast thing at this point. It's a local thing in New York, especially. But as somebody who grew up a huge fan of baseball and loved the All-Star game back when it meant something, National League versus American League, there was an interleague play. It was fun to watch the uniforms on display. Your Mets team out there, Yankees team, whatever team, wearing their uniform. In the All-Star game, it was kind of a, a cool visual. But even I don't care that much about it. The uniforms are ugly. I get it. Ultimately, like you said, the way the game is now, you know, it, the only complaint is really that we're getting old and it's not the same as it used to be. Other than that, does it really matter? There are much bigger issues in the sports world, specifically in the Major League Baseball world, that you can complain about. So I think it's just filler for, hey, I got to get through a segment on the overnight. Let me throw out the uniform mm -hmm. thing. And this thing stinks. Let's see if it sticks and maybe get a call or two. I don't think I've watched the All-Star game since like 1989. I'll tell you what. <laughs> here, no. Once they had interleague play, the All-Star game was completely useless. Right. I, I mean, I probably haven't watched an All-Star game in 15, 20 years. I'm not even, I, I just, it's, it's not real. It's a fake game. Oh, and, you know, and here, the last one might have been, you know, the best was the year when, Tory was the manager, I remember from the Yankees, and they ended the game in a tie. Yeah, CLA called it a tie. I don't know. And then they decided the whole thing. Yeah, like how could you care pictures. about All Star games? You just can't. It's the it's last not thing the same. with no. The last thing with baseball because this is one of your pet peeves, and I, I, I got major issues with both things. I have major issues with that we're still doing runner on second base in extra innings. I thought that was because of COVID. Now that COVID's over, I don't. You know, you're outside. There's, and then the seven inning double headers. Why are we, why is baseball still doing this? And why do they always make bad and dumb decisions? So so here's my problem with this, right? I get what you're saying. I think that that's somewhat of a separate issue. The runner on second in extra innings. And for the record, I don't even mind that as much. The seven inning straight through double header. Uh, you get it. I understand why it was put in place last year. You can't complain. Just get me the games and move on. But this year, maybe to start the year was put in because they didn't know how it was going to play out, right? But now you're bringing fans back into play. As you said, outdoors, there are basically no restrictions anymore. So the idea that you're going to play seven innings to limit the time at the ballpark, that doesn't make any sense. And then the kicker is not only are they playing seven inning doubleheaders, they're doing it with a split gate. How can you justify a split doubleheader, day-night doubleheader, two gates, when the whole reason and, and playing for seven innings, when the whole reason was that seven inning doubleheaders would limit the amount of time of the ballpark, limit the risk and all that stuff, and and get out, get in, get out. That's it. Now you're splitting the gate, which by the way, I don't have a problem with. You want to split the gate? That's your right, especially after losing you know money last year. But how can you then play seven inning games? You're charging full price, full admission. You're splitting the doubleheader, which goes against the whole reason why there's seven innings to begin with. So there are many different issues, the rule changes and all that. We could debate until the cows come home. But that is non-disputable. That is disgusting, what Major League Baseball is doing to their fans, scheduling split-gate doubleheaders and still playing them at seven innings. There's no reason. But see, to me, this stems from last year with what was stupid was, so if you play 18 innings – 
you get COVID, but if you play 14 right. innings, you don't get COVID. It was the stupidest decision back then. Don't give me this getting in and out and less time at the ballpark. 14 innings, 18 innings. COVID doesn't care about how many innings are being played. That's true. And then they continue it this year, which is a ridiculous. And now they're going to charge fans for two separate games and play seven for seven-inning games. It's un- That sport, it's amazing how they do everything wrong how does manford not answer to this i mean all the simple question is why rob you put this in last year and you could not like well, it and you're right i mean does covid discriminate against 18 you know four extra innings throughout the course of a doubleheader but maybe there are other reasons and you can't tell me you can't tell me that rob manfred in the middle of the season like we're taping this it's july 7th if rob manfred wants right now today on july 7th he can sit there and say no more seven inning doubleheaders no more runner on second we're going back to regular baseball because they did the sticky stuff in the middle of the season. So right. there's no reason why they can. Now, I, maybe you have to vote on this stuff with the Players Association and the Players Union. And maybe that's a factor in this. But I find it hard to believe you can't change that in the middle of the season. But you decided to make sticky stuff and throw people out of games and make pe- pitchers strip on the mound in the middle of the season. I mean, so, think about the equivalent here. What, what are we just going to start? Play? Well, why not play five innings, speed up the game? I mean, we're going to start playing three quarters in the NBA or in the NFL. It. Think about what they're no, doing. No, we're not because it's only baseball. This only happens with baseball. There's it's no ridiculous. other sport. The fans it, have to hold them accountable. And I know it'll never happen, but they should be boycotting these games. How can you pay? Well, then you're getting crazy. No one's boycotting a game. Well, the doubleheaders, they should. I mean, are you going to pay full price to go to a seven-inning game? I mean, why? It's a I wouldn't ball. pay full price to go to a regular game. <laughs> I mean, what am I, don't sit there with these animals in the stands drunk and <laughs> throwing things and get, ugh, droplets flying everywhere. That's like, a fair Please, point. I'll pass. Yeah. All right, Sal. Appreciate it. Thanks, Have a good Jimmy. week. All right, you take too. care. All right, my thanks to Sean McDonough. Really enjoyed speaking to him for the first time here on the SI Media Podcast. Love that Bill Raftery story. If you enjoyed the interview and you're not a subscriber to the SI Media Podcast, hit that subscribe button. And uh, if you like this episode, feel free to rate and review. It helps tremendously. And if you missed any previous episodes, we had Chris Long on last week. Maybe you missed it over the 4th of July weekend. He was great talking about some current NFL topics and uh, some lighter things as well. Jim Ross from AEW Wrestling, legendary play-by-play man for WWE. And John O'Ran, two weeks ago, we're on the pod. John Wertheim, three weeks ago, Stu Gatz from the Lebtard Show, four weeks ago. If you missed any of those, go into the archives and check them out. All right, we'll see you next week right here on the SI Media Podcast. Stay safe and take care. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host 
host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.